0: Welcome to the Breaking Over the Anxiety Podcast. I am your host, the Anxiety Nutritionist, Gut and Hormonal Health Expert, Yoga and Meditation Teacher, and Cat Mom Taylor Jandro. And this podcast is designed to show you how to relieve and resolve your anxiety disorder through the powerful combination of food, lifestyle changes, targeted supplementation, gut and hormonal health optimization, nervous system regulation, yoga, meditation mindset, lifestyle coaching, and more. And today I brought on my amazing colleague, Dr. Ariana, a trauma-informed functional health consultant with a specialization in depression, anxiety, and substance use disorder to share her inspiring journey of substance abuse and recovery. With a doctorate in naturopathic medicine, she combines the wisdom of traditional healing with cutting-edge knowledge of mind-body-spirit connections. Before medical school, Dr. Ariana faced challenges in accepting her queerness, struggling with addiction, depression, and PTSD. Her path of recovery through microdosing and alternative healing led her to find the root cause and have a passion to guide others on this journey. Her whole person approach draws on the wisdom that we have an innate healing within each of us, and when activated, deep transformations can take place. This topic of recovery is very near and dear to my heart, but I'm also nervous. Uh, This is the first time I'm openly sharing about my father's struggles with alcohol and some of the ways that that has impacted me. Addiction lives on a spectrum, and I think that's what's kept me from talking about it for a long time, plus I'm really protective of my family, but it's been 130 days since I have decided to remove alcohol from my life for good. In the episode, I think I say like 80 or 85 or something, because this was recorded back in July, and there were many reasons for this decision. One, you know, nothing is more important to me than my physical health, and I just couldn't ignore what alcohol does to the body any longer, even casually. Two, it wasn't serving me physically, mentally, or spiritually. I actually felt like it was holding me back from all that I could do and all that I could be. Uh, And third, I always knew from what I had witnessed growing up that I didn't want alcohol in my life, again, even just casually. It just took me a while to get there. And just to be very clear, this is my own personal decision. In no way am I trying to make anybody feel bad who drinks casually or who even drinks more than casually. That is not the point at all. I'm just sharing what kind of led me to this decision. And it's something that I'll probably talk about more and more and more on the podcast because it's a big part of my life now. But in this episode, Ariana and I talk about our personal experiences with substance abuse, the impact of alcohol and gut and, on gut and mental health, our thoughts on moderate alcohol consumption, uh, overcoming fear of judgment, the hard decisions we've had to make to heal, trusting yourself, letting go of regret, the philosophy behind intuitive sobriety microdosing, emotional regulation strategies to process and move past any lingering hurt or trauma, uh, practical tools and suggestions for leading a healthier substance-free life and so much more. So whether you are starting to evaluate your relationship with alcohol or there's somebody in your life that you would like to learn more about how you can maybe support them, this episode is for you. And finally, before we dive in, I want to thank my dad for being so supportive of me sharing this small piece of our story. I love you, daddy. Well, hello. I'm so glad that we're finally doing this. Everybody, this has been like a mission (laughs) (laughs) to to get this podcast to happen. I'm super excited. Everything happens in its own divine timing. So Introduce yourself. Tell us the Coles Notes version of everything.
1: Yes. So, my name is Dr. Ariana McCartney. I recently just graduated um, from naturopathic medical school, and I have been working with clients in the recovery space for about two years now while I finished my degree. And, you know, I first got into naturopathic medicine from my own recovery from addiction. And I am super passionate about sharing this message because I think there's just so much taboo and shame that comes with this. And it took me, you know, four or five years into my own recovery before I was even able to start speaking about it. So um, as I share, um, just know that. It's okay if you're still struggling and it's okay if you're still, you know, not ready to talk about it, um, because I totally get it. Um, but yeah, I struggled with substance use starting really in college and, uh, came out as queer and really struggled with that identity shift, um, combined with, you know, uh, Trump, you know little t traumatic yeah. upbringing <laughs> yeah. yeah um and really found substances as a way to escape and find solace um and it really is like i got ahead of myself in that in that world um i never thought in a million years that i would ever be addicted in high school, I was the person who was giving lectures in our, um, like, health class about the bad effects of cocaine and the bad effects of these drugs. Really? Oh yeah. My gosh. And like, all the seniors were like, who is this bitch? <laughs> like, <laughs> who is this nerd? And then, fast forward, you know, 10 years, I was addicted to cocaine, uh, using, um, Adderall every day to focus, coming down with um, weed and alcohol every night to, you know, come down off of the uppers. And um, yeah, I, I think that addiction can be so insidious in that way, where we think that we would never be the, the culprit to it. And um, it happens. And um, I'm so grateful to have made it through and I made it to the other side. And I know that, uh, not a lot of people, you know, not everyone does. And so I feel very grateful to be here and be able to share my story and be able to now have a doctorate and be able to help people through that process in the way
0: that I, um, wish I had had the help. I'm. Thank you so much for sharing. I have so many questions, but I really want to kind of preface this because this is the first time I'm bringing anybody onto the podcast to have this kind of conversation. And I mean, you know this because we've talked about this a lot, but this topic is very near and dear to my heart. My father is an alcoholic and I'm really hesitant to share that because it can manifest in so many different ways. Right. And I think when we think of alcoholics, we maybe think of people, at least this is what I thought for a long time. We think of people who are maybe like abusive or just very different situations. Like my upbringing was very, my upbringing was very privileged. We were definitely like upper middle class and you would not know at all by looking at my family from the outside in that that was a struggle my dad was an extremely he still is he's an extremely successful businessman and he's literally the kindest person in the world and when he drinks it's he's just extra lovable <laughs> Like, he would send us, like, as we got older, he would send us, like, the loviest stuviest texts. And I'd just be like, okay, dad's drunk, <laughs> you know? Like, like, the world is your oyster. I love you so much. And there was obviously other things. Like, it caused a lot of issues in his marriage to my stepmother, who I call her my mom. I have my bio mom and my stepmom because my stepmom raised me. I lived with her and my dad full time. And she has been in my life since I was, like, 18 months old. And that caused a lot of tension and a lot of problems for that, for them. And so that's what I witnessed growing up, like a lot of fighting around his drinking. But in terms of how he was towards us, Mm. he was just like, dad, he was fantastic. Uh, One of the things, the only thing was that he was like late to pick us up sometimes, you know, like he wasn't where he said he was supposed to be. So, which is Now, it's the one thing that makes me really anxious is being late. Because, you know, growing up, I was left sometimes, you know, for a little bit longer than I was supposed to be left. And as a child, you're like, Oh, my God, I'm abandoned. Um, Even though if you don't have the words for that. So this is the first time that I'm really kind of openly... I've had this conversation with my dad. I've obviously asked his permission. Um, And this is the first time I'm really openly kind of sharing about this, but it has had a very profound impact on my life and the life of my sisters. And we have all... Adapted to it differently, which is very interesting to see as well. And so, you know, growing up being exposed to that, never in a million years did I ever think that I would also have issues with substance abuse because I grew up. And so I was like, that'll never be me. Like, I will never do this. And then, sure enough, you know, kind of similar situation where I found myself on the highest daily dose of Prozac and feeling nothing and just a total zombie and self-medicating with alcohol and drugs to the point where one of my best friends went to rehab and she's also going to come on the podcast. And that was my like, come to Jesus moment where I was like, okay, if she's going to rehab, like, am I next? Like, I got to figure my shit out because we were like in it together all the time. So what was your like moment that you were like, okay, this is, this is a problem. Yeah. Um,
1: thank you so much for sharing your story. And it's so, I just want to say like, um, yeah, with families, you really never know what's going on. And I'm so happy to hear that your dad, you know, was loving towards you, but I'm sure seeing that, um, fighting and that disruption, like, you know, when we struggle with substance, substance abuse, it doesn't happen in a vacuum and, Mm -hmm. you know, it impacts, um, lives around us. Um, but I was definitely in my own little bubble thinking that, you know, my, I was just, I was struggling so much and I, um, didn't have any awareness of how substances really were impacting that. I was really struggling with anxiety, with depression, and uh, I reached a point of being suicidal. And that was my kind of wake up call like, okay, something needs to shift. I had tried therapy, I had tried different things, and nothing really was working. And I actually started researching microdosing. And this was back in 2015. So back when, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of information. So no,
0: I didn't know about it then. I didn't know about it until really two years ago. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I started researching this and um people on Reddit, you know, super trustworthy, but I was- <laughs> open- Gotta love
0: <laughs> a Reddit thread. <laughs> yeah.
1: I was open to anything at that point because I was struggling so much. And I started a microdosing protocol on my own. I don't know if I would recommend doing that now, but I used it. This is not medical advice. This is not medical advice. Um, I started doing it with the intention to heal my depression. Mm. And over the next six months... I, began, like, I had no connection awareness that substances were an issue. And over the next six months, I would go on these journal deep dives and I started to see and have this awareness that I was trying to solve all of my mental health issues, all of my low self-worth issues, all of my pain and trauma with substances and with things external to me. And through that process, I began to see I have all of the answers within me. Everything mm-hmm. I need is within me. And, you know, six months into that protocol, I was still using, and I had actually reached a point of using GHB and speed. Speed is 90% methamphetamine. Um, every day, that was like my baseline. And I wasn't sleeping. I, You know, my health was deteriorating. So it's like I was having these awarenesses and still nothing really was shifting um, until I had this dream one night. And in this dream, I saw a white swan who was on the verge of death. And she was just really struggling squawking couldn't even stand up straight and I woke up and thought oh my gosh that was a dream about my roommate I am supposed to help my roommate
0: (laughs) it can't possibly be me It possibly be me yeah this is not my subconscious this is somebody in my life yeah this is like you know because I had that
1: like urge to help others and so you know I was living with a roommate who um Was also, you know, also a crystal meth user a little bit like further along in the process than me. Um, And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm here to help her. And I called my mom who I really wasn't in contact with at the time, but I called her up and she said to me like very pointedly, no, that bird is you. And it was just this like, where it hit me like this brick from like within and all around of like, oh, I I am really struggling here. And if I don't shift things, I'm going to continue to hurt myself and struggle. And that was the point where I was like, okay, I need to move out. If the drugs are around me, I'm gonna continue doing them. And I moved into a an apartment um, all by myself and detoxed by myself. Um, was kind of started working seven days a week. This is actually when I was living in Toronto, and um, just had like three months of healing. But it was a really grueling process of a lot of you know, the withdrawal symptoms, like Mm -hmm. coming off of GHB is kind of similar to like a benzodiazepine or alcohol where, um, you've been on this downer. And so now you're, you're having like the shakes and I was puking and, um, just really going through that process. And, you know, I was still using cannabis and microdosing and helping myself heal in that way. And, I kind of stepped back from substances in the same way that I went in. So after those three months, I moved to New York and then I started drinking and using Adderall again. And that lasted for about six months, I would say until I was like, okay, I need to make a shift from this. Um, and ended up moving back in with my parents actually moved back to Michigan and So that whole process was kind of an intuitive journey for me. I had that like contact with my soul, with that deep, deep subconscious soul level part of me um, that was showing me how much I was hurting and I just continued to follow those nudges and it took me some time to fully recover. But I think that um, it was in a very harm reduction way and it's it's really informed how i work with people now that i never really went to aa i didn't go to rehab i was never like instilled with this dogma of like if you're using again you're like you know not in, on the road to recovery anymore and so i i saw myself stepping back from the harder drugs back into alcohol and Um, and Adderall, like I saw that as part of the path to healing and, um, and that's the way that I, I see it with others now too. If people use again, or if they're using less harmful substances, first of all, that's a huge win to be letting go of something more harmful and using something less harmful and, you know, using a substance again is another opportunity to look inward because it's really not about the substance, right? <laughs> like it's about all of the layers of pain and um, and past hurts that we're trying to escape from using the substances.
0: Mm-hmm. And I thank you so much for sharing all that. I feel so strongly about what you just said, um, about, you know, cause this is obviously a conversation that I've had with my family many times and I don't know why, but I was always, I mean, I guess I know why now, because look at the career that I'm in, but even when I was younger, I was always interested in understanding like, why, like why my dad drank, like I didn't see it as a weakness. I didn't see it as like something that like he could just control. Like I didn't see it like that, I understood on some level. And I think it's because I knew other family members struggled with depression. Um, And that was always talked about, never anxiety, which was interesting. Because then when I started experiencing anxiety and a doctor said that to me, I was like, what's anxiety? But for years, I knew about like depression, I knew about like addiction. Um, I did have um, some family members as well that um, had attempted suicide a few times um, that I had, you know, these are conversations that my family's always been like, open about talking about these things, which is great. Um, and, and I'm talking about, like, extended family, not even just my immediate family. And so I was always just, like, curious about, like, why? And so I always took it upon myself to understand that and to research that and then to, like, explain that to, like, my sisters or my stepmom mm-hmm. and to really try to get them to see that, like, this isn't, like a weakness or a failure. Like there's a reason that somebody is turning to the drink or the drug or whatever the vice is food, right? Like what exercise, some people are over exercising and that's their drug, right? Like there's a reason we're turning to our vice and that is really misunderstood in our society. And it's something that I've always been passionate about, like having more conversations around and shedding more light, not just for people who are listening, who are maybe concerned about their substance use, but also if they have people in their life to maybe like have a better understanding of kind of what they're going through and the support that they need. Part one, part two is I think it's really important to talk about the fact that AA is not your only option. And if it doesn't work for you, then that's okay. You're not a failure and you can find sobriety in another way. And that's something my dad and I have talked about a lot because now I've read so many books and I myself have been sober for 85 days. Yay! Yes, Yay! I've <laughs> always been sober curious, literally because of my dad, mm-hmm. you know, and that best friend of mine who went to rehab and she just celebrated her 10 year sober anniversary. Amazing. Like I know. So, you know, props to her. Um, and of course, knowing what I know in terms of gut health and mental health and we'll dive into all of that. Like it was always just this weird, like paradox to be like learning all these things, but then also drinking, you know? And so I've just always been sober, curious. And so I've read tons of books now by people, by women, specifically, it seems like women a lot don't really resonate with the teachings in AA. And we can have a whole conversation about why that is. <laughs> but even my dad has said that, like, AA doesn't resonate with him, it doesn't work for him. You know, he's been in and out of rehab a few times, and it hasn't resonated. And I've never seen that as a failure, like ever, ever. And it's the same thing with anxiety and depression like medication is not your only option if medication is not resonating with you um or simply just not working on like a biochemical physical level um maybe cognitive behavior therapy like you mentioned that you were in therapy and it wasn't really working i was in therapy for years as well doing cbt which is like the gold standard Mm -hmm. and i have nothing against it but it didn't work for me Mm -hmm. but at that time my mindset was like, well, if this doesn't work, I'm fucked. Like if this doesn't work, nothing's going to work. And so mm-hmm. I'm just really, really glad that we're, we're having this conversation today. And I really want to have future conversations like this. We're like, there are a million ways for you to get from point A to point B. Yeah. And it's really yeah. important to kind of find that way for you. So let's dive in a little bit to what's going on in the body. Yes. When we consume alcohol, like how is this impacting our gut health and our mental health? Hey, 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 I am quickly interrupting this episode because if you are like me and you are a visual learner, I wanted to let you know about my free one hour webinar class called the three secrets to natural anxiety banishment that walks you through, well, the three secrets to natural anxiety banishment. Specifically, how to optimize your digestive function, how to fix your gut, how to eat in a way that boosts natural neurotransmitter production and reduce inflammation, and how to bring your hormones back into balance. I love podcasts for listening to when I'm on walks or driving or cooking or cleaning. They inspire me and give me so many aha moments, but. I am a visual learner, so I benefit the most when I can see the information presented in a clear and organized manner, like a slideshow. I don't really remember or retain information that well when it's just presented verbally, which is exactly what I have done for you in my three secrets to natural anxiety banishment training. And within that training, I share the top things that you need to be doing to optimize digestive function, boost neurotransmitter production, bring your hormones back into balance all in a beautiful slideshow. So if you haven't watched that hit the link in the show notes to get your copy of the three secrets to natural anxiety management, free training, emailed right to you. Okay. Back to the episode. I get this question a lot and I will have people say to me, you know, like I don't drink, you know, I don't drink that much, but I'll have a glass of wine every night for dinner. And Mm -hmm. I'm just like, you know, you do you, but like, in my opinion, that's a lot. Like just in terms of what we're looking at from the body, like I'm not speaking to, is there an addiction? Is there a problem? Like I'm not talking about that, but Mm -hmm. if, if you're coming to me and asking me for my opinion, as a nutritionist, as like someone who specializes in gut health, and you're saying like, is that a lot to have one glass of wine every single night with dinner? My response is going to be yes, in terms of what it's doing to the body. So could you walk us through a little bit? I mean, what's your opinion? First of all, <laughs> we're allowed to have different opinions.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I completely agree with you. I think that um, alcohol by nature is a um, poisonous substance, That's why we feel inebriated is because it's like poisoning us in like a very subtle way. And um, a recent study actually came out. So previously we thought like, okay, 12 to 24 drinks per week is going to cause neurodegeneration, meaning breakdown of our brain. And it's going to hinder that ability to regulate our emotions, to think and plan and that Is a lot of what we need to function in the world. Um, But a recent study came out and said that even low to moderate, so one to two drinks per day, there is evidence of thinning of the neocortex and other areas of the brain. So when we're having, you know, any impact on our brain, it's going to affect our mental health. It's going to impact our thinking. Um, And so seven to 14 drinks per week has been shown to cause negative impact. And that's whether you have seven drinks all in one night or, you know, one, one drink per night. And so this is really interesting to me because alcohol is toted and toted as this thing that's like the safe the safe uh drug like
0: the safe poison. The safe <laughs> poison, right? Yeah. Like
1: what do you do after work? You go get drinks with your coworkers. What do you have with dinner? You have a nice glass of wine. Like it's so embedded in our culture as this okay very accepted thing. And yet it's causing some serious harm to our body and what it's really doing in in the gut. And I know you probably talk a lot about the gut brain axis. You're, I love that we're both in like the alternative kind of health realm because we mm-hmm. understand that anything impacting the gut is going to impact the brain. And what alcohol is doing is it's killing our good bacteria in our gut. Why is that? Why is that important? Well, our good bacteria lines every single inch of our gut. And when we don't have that protective lining, our gut cells will begin to uh, separate. And normally in our, in our GI tract, we want these like really tight junctions. And this is so what's passing through our gut doesn't get into our bloodstream. Well, when we're losing that probiotic, that good, that good bacteria layer in the gut, um, we have damage to our enterocytes, the cells, and those cells are going to now, instead of tight junctions, they're going to kind of open up. And so things that typically wouldn't go into our bloodstream are now entering our bloodstream. Why is that important? that's going to cause neurological issues. That's going to cause anxiety, depression. So it all interplays in each other. Something else interesting is that alcohol is broken down into acetyl and acetate. So the acetyl is very toxic to our cells. And our, our, our liver is trying to um, process this quickly, but acetylaldehyde, there's going to be some acetylaldehyde hanging out. And what do we see acetylaldehyde doing? Um, acetylaldehyde is going to actually alter the structure of protein. So it's going to like chunk, hang on to the protein, and kind of disrupt the structure. So now, hormones. Enzymes, neurotransmitters like serotonin are getting altered so they can't function properly. And there is a link with acetylaldehyde altered proteins and autoimmune reaction. Because when we have these like weird looking proteins in our body, our body's going to say, I don't know what that is, I'm going to kill it. But it's actually our own cells. And so that can that's actually a mechanism of some autoimmune diseases. So um the effects are profound. And um interestingly, when we first drink alcohol, the acetylaldehyde is gonna disrupt that neural connections, and initially you're gonna have some heightened activity, you're gonna have some good mood and that doesn't last that long because it wears off and then serotonin and activity in the brain is going to decrease. So you have another drink, try to regain that first sense of like, that first buzz. Chasing
0: that high. That first, like, right, chasing yeah. that high. It's like MDMA is never the same as the first time you ever do it. The first time you do it, you're just like, oh my gosh. And then you're chasing it and chasing it and chasing it for years. And yeah. you never hit that high again. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so you're drinking more and then all of a sudden, you know, alcohol is a depressant. So it's going to shut everything down and you never reg- regain that initial like buzz. Yeah. And then the next day, um alcohol you can have like this rebound cortisol effect where alcohol actually increases cortisol. What is cortisol? Cortisol is our stress hormone and it's also really high in anxiety or can promote feelings of anxiety. And that's why um, you know, the term like anxiety is around because people feel more anxious the day after they drink and yet we still drink. Like it's not, it's, it's like, we're not fully making that connection. It's just something that's like, so taken as normal in today's society. But if you think about the amount of energy and the amount of time, like for every day that you're hung over, that's an entire day of your life. <laughs> that yeah. you're now just succumbing to because you you know had a couple of drinks.
0: That was like the really big motivator for me. Cause I mean, you know, I've been talking for, I don't even know how long now. We connected probably a year and a half ago, two years ago. I don't even know, time flies. <laughs> um, and we've been chatting and I I would go long stints. Like I would do long stints. The more I learned about health and the, the more my health became a priority to me, the less I would drink, the less I would drink, the less I would drink, but I would still drink, you know, usually every single Saturday kind of thing, go to dinner with my boyfriend, get a nice bottle of wine, you know, something like that. Um, I also, when you talk about, oh, anxiety, it's so normalized. Like, it's just like, ha ha ha. I have anxiety. We all just kind of like laugh about it and talk about it together. So when I stopped doing drugs, which was in around, like, I, I stopped to the level I was excessively doing that. I physically removed myself as well. I was in Toronto. I moved back home to Ottawa to be, to move back in with my parents to remove myself from the situation. This was late 2014. And then when I would go back to Toronto to visit my friends, I'd be like, oh, yeah, okay. Like, they'd have cocaine. And I'd be like, oh, sure. It's just every once in a while. And then, you know, after, like, two years of that, I was like, okay, no. <laughs> like, this is a no for me, you know, but- no judgment and i don't look back on that time and think like anything bad about it like i really don't i don't have any of those feelings about it i'm just like it is what it was and listen i had some great times and i like made some amazing friends and some of those people are still like legit in my life like a lot of them were party friends and they obviously died when i stopped partying but some yeah. of those people are still my my closest friends yeah right so i don't look back on that time with like any like, oh my gosh, how, why did I do that? Why did I waste my time? Like I do look back and I think like there was some pretty messed up situations that like literally like could have been dangerous. So I kind of look back on that and I think like I'm really lucky, mm-hmm. but I don't look back and like berate myself, you know? So I want to make that like very clear. And then some people do, and that's completely fine either way. Right. Um, yeah. but when I stopped doing, drugs because obviously if you're drinking and doing drugs at the same time like for me it was cocaine, MDMA and then cocaine were kind of like my big ones um the amount that I could drink declined when I removed the cocaine right mm-hmm. and so f- after that I would throw up a lot a lot like to the point that it's like straight up embarrassing and it actually became like a joke kind of with my friends that I would just like always puke when i was drinking even if i wasn't drinking that much in my mind but like it was still that much and so that would happen that went on for years for years and it's like your body is literally rejecting this and you think it's funny like i think it's funny my friends think it's funny we're laughing about it you know yeah at what point does it stop being funny so that would kind of happen and i would just be like okay this is like literally like I I have this online persona where I'm like this healthy anti anxiety nutritionist and then meanwhile I'm like puking like on the weekend you know and it it wasn't every single weekend but it was still like often enough yeah and so that kept happening and that's when I was kind of like okay I need to like step away from this but it's really hard because it's so ingrained in our society and i would always be like what the hell do i do you know like (laughs) and then the other kind of big motivating factor for me was you were talking about uh you know energy and mood and things like that like at one point i just decided that the most important thing to me was how i felt Like the most important thing was my energy. The most important thing was how I felt in my body. And only I had control over that. Like we're all going to have good days and bad days. We're all going to get into little funks every now and then. But like I have, I mean, we have so much more control than we think we have about how we physically feel in our body. And I kind of just decided like three months ago now, I guess, that I was just like, there is literally nothing that's more important to me. Than my energy, because my energy affects everything. It affects my productivity, my creativity, how I show up as a partner, as a daughter, as a friend, how I show up in the three jobs that I work, how I run my business, how I show up for my clients. Like it affects everything. And I would literally have two drinks Saturday night. I'd have split a bottle of wine with my partner. So a drink and a half of wine. And Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I was like depressed. And then I was like, what am I doing? Like, this is not worth it. Yeah. But I was on and off for a long time. And then when I finally made the decision, I think a lot of people are concerned maybe of what, like, their friends will say or what people will say. And when I finally made that decision and I told everyone, nobody said anything to me. And those who are closest to me were literally like, Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Like you've been sober curious for so long. Like, I think that's so great. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and I just, my best friend just got married and I went to the bachelorette, didn't have a drink, wedding, didn't have a drink and I felt amazing. Yeah, And like, I don't need alcohol to tear up the dance floor. Like I did a speech. Of course I was a little nervous, but I, I, I have a, you know, big personality. And what I was really excited for, and I was telling Steve this, is I was like, I'm excited for people to see that like drunk Taylor is actually just regular Taylor. Mm. Like I have like a really big personality and I think for so long it would just be like, oh, well, she's just like that when she's drunk. And it's like, no, I'm actually just always like that. <laughs> fully, fully. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, I think it's... um It's really, you know, for me too, it's been really beautiful to see, you know, my friend had a wedding last year and she had mocktails on
0: her menu. I, if I get married, I will 1000% have mocktails.
1: Yes. And it's like, because she, you know, knew that I was coming, but also I think wanted to make that space available for others. I love that. I think like, if you are maybe the first one of your friend group who is sober curious know that there's probably others that are sober curious as well. And when you make that decision for yourself, like it opens that pathway as an okay thing for others to do as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you also learn who your real friends are, right? Because yeah, some people will say like, you don't just want to drink and Um, you know, you can stay strong in that and then realize like, okay, I want people in my life that are supportive of this. And more often than not, people will be supportive and people will understand and respect your decision.
0: Mm -hmm. What are like, what are some of the feelings that came up for you when you were, oh, I also had another question. You were talking a lot about how you were like using microdosing and stuff, Mm -hmm. were you doing other spiritual practices as well during those three months that you were kind of detoxing? Like, were you getting heavy into breathwork and meditation? Like what were some other Mm -hmm. practices that you were doing that really helped you? Mm -hmm. Because I think for a lot of people that detox is quite scary. And a lot of the time it, it should be supervised depending on, you know, the severity, Mm -hmm. um, Uh, or how much you drink and stuff like that. I remember I was having this conversation with somebody over COVID and they were like, Oh, can't believe the LCBOs are open. You know, that's like our liquor store. And I was like, yeah, because it's straight up dangerous, like for some people to just stop. And I think that's another thing that people don't really understand either is that dependency that um, happens in the body. Like sometimes you really do need that professional help. Oh,
1: 100%. Yeah, there's risk for seizure, risk for death. And so definitely if you are somebody who is heavy, you know, heavy drinking or even consistent drinking at a moderate amount, um, definitely don't, would not advise you to just quit cold turkey. Um, you want to be under supervision and you want to have um, people supporting you through that time. Yeah. Um, remind me of the question you asked
0: so when you were going through your detox what were like some mm. of the practices. spiritual practices like yeah so you said you were doing the microdosing and things like that but what were some mm-hmm. were you looking at your diet were mm. you because sobriety are, is really what what showed you what's got you into naturopathic medicine Right. Yeah. So I'm I'm envisioning that along your path, you learned about the importance of protein right. <laughs> and all of those things. So, you know, walk us through that a little bit. And then I'd love for you to share your story. And then I'd love to hear some of like your top strategies. If people are listening to this and, and they're like, whether you resonate with having like an addiction or not, like I, I've stopped, I have zero plans on drinking like ever again. I don't think I was addicted. You know, like I definitely had addictive personality because I was addicted to my benzos. um, And I definitely think I was addicted to the cocaine. Um, (laughs) But the, um, the alcohol, I was slowly kind of weaning off that anyway, naturally. And so when I decided to stop, I wasn't like, oh my God, I have a problem. I was like, this just does not serve me. Like this just like, doesn't serve anything I want to do in my life. Right. So I think Mm -hmm. whether you rest, whether whether you're listening to this and you're like, Oh, I've been, maybe I think I have a problem or maybe you're just like, I'm just straight up sober curious. And, Mm -hmm. um, or I just really want to have like the best gut health ever, you know, like (laughs) I'd love to hear like kind of your top strategies on, on where people can start.
1: Yeah. So, um, I think that that's a really good thing like you don't have to be an addict to look at this. You can simply just want more energy. You can simply just want a better mood. Like you don't have to have this problem or be, you know, hit rock bottom for you to want to change something. And it's okay to question your alcohol use and it's okay to let go of it. And some of my favorite things to let go of it are Doing that healing work alongside, so you reach this place of, oh, I can let go of this because I, like, it feels easeful to let go of,
0: right? Mm I don't need it as much. Like, it's less of a crutch.
1: Right, right. And so some of those things are like emotional regulation. I am obsessed with tapping. Emotional freedom technique tapping and so it's good. tapping on different acupressure points as you feel difficult emotions. And it's actually triggering a message to your amygdala, the fear center in your brain, that it's okay to feel those things. Mm. And so that really helps you get to a place of like, okay, I can be in the discomfort that would that's one of the big ones is emotional regulation. Um, second one is diet, right? I was healing my gut while I was getting sober and I went to see a nutritional therapist and I was reading books on the gut brain axis and I was, you know, overhauling my diet and taking supplements, not in like an unhealthy way, but in like a, okay, I'm not pooping well and yeah. I think that this is affecting my mental health. Um and so part of that is having consistent, uh, consistent meals throughout the day that have protein, fat, carbohydrate. Um, when we are low in, uh, blood, when our blood sugar is low, that's mm-hmm. typically when we have a craving for um, anything
0: like for sugar, anything. alcohol, Exactly, like you, you don't respond. I think this is fascinating when faced with, cause stress is not going anywhere. We're all going to be exposed to stressful situations in our life. Mm-hmm. How you actually respond to that situation is like direct, like you will respond better if your blood sugar is balanced, which oh I just goodness. find like is crazy and super cool.
1: hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. So, you know, I've had clients who are like, Oh my gosh, I started having protein more protein with my breakfast and my lunch. And now I'm not having that 4 p.m., 5 5 p.m. craving for wine. What is this? And it's like magic. It's it's magic. (laughs) It's because when our when our body is missing something, Mm -hmm. that sugar, nourishment, you know, it's gonna seek something external to fill that void. And when our brain is programmed to, you know, alcohol or reaching for substance to fill that void, it's, it's going to go to that. And so definitely stabilizing with nutrition is super, super important. And another piece is really working on our mindfulness and that subconscious programming. Because like I said, when we have that pattern ingrained to reach for the substance, um, it's very difficult to change that. And so we want to focus on reaching a place of calm and um, deepening our awareness into our patterns um, and doing things like hypnosis, meditation, breath work. I love all of these modalities, even microdosing. This I was is not just going to say. This, this is, is not our, medical yeah. advice, but
0: yeah. And this is where microdosing can come in to help with the neural pathways and creating new neural pathways. 100%.
1: So I like to think of microdosing as, you know, we have this well-trodden path in our brain that's like, I'm tired, alcohol. Or Mm -hmm. I'm emotionally dysregulated, weed, I'm whatever, you know, the substance. And what microdosing does um, is it kind of mows the lawn. So it's easier to build these new paths. It builds new neural connections. It allows for this change in pattern, change in behavior, um, because it creates that neuroplasticity. And, um, Yeah. So things to, and it, you know, it doesn't have to be microdosing things like breath work, Kundalini yoga, they help you reach that altered state of consciousness that allows you to tap into that subconscious. Mm -hmm. And I would say those tools are hugely, hugely, hugely beneficial. And if you are looking into a program that is, you know, I think that's why CBT, I think it helps so much, but it doesn't necessarily tap into that subconscious realm, right? When we're just talking and we're having talk therapy, we're using our waking consciousness and 90% of all of our behaviors are coming from the subconscious. Mm-hmm. And so we want to tap into that, those layers to, to really see a shift.
0: Um, for anybody who is not feeling called to plant medicine which is what microdosing would be Uh, i want to offer another alternative as well breathwork meditation oh my gosh kundalini yoga i'm gonna do my teacher training in that one day it's just it's so funny because my mom used to go to it like my bio mom is very spiritual and she used to go to it years ago and i would be like mom that's a cult like you're in a cult <laughs> when I was a teenager I wonder, it, it, has, culty vibes. it does have culty vibes but <laughs> but I love it it is so like I just like it 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 and I am somebody who microdoses mm-hmm. and they are like apples to apples man like I oh, literally will walk out of a quality class and I'll just be like whoa <laughs> like this is crazy yeah. um so there's a book called The Power of Awe, and I do have a podcast episode on it. I cannot remember what episode number. I will find out, and I'll put it in my intro, but it's um, by Michael Amster and um, Jake Eagle. I'm so bad at remembering names, so I really hope that's what it's called. That's Those are the authors. I'm like... I mean, Michael for sure, because I had him on the podcast, but uh, you know, like when people play trivia games, they're like, who's this singer? I'm like, oh God, I don't know. Like, I'm just so bad with names, but I'm so good with faces. Anyway, the power of awe, it's, uh, the method is awe. Like, it's kind of like a gratitude practice, but on steroids, it's like micro microdosing mindfulness every single day with this practice of awe and finding awe in the little day things. And again, I will say as somebody who microdoses and somebody who did this practice, the book was sent to me and I did the practice for 21 days, apples and apples. I was literally like, wow. And I just thought that was really great. And I wanted to share that because not especially like the women in my community have anxiety. And so sometimes there's a lot of anxiety around trying something like microdosing, right. Or like really any supplementation, like, magnesium, <laughs> you know, like there's an like anxiety Listen, around trying a lot of things, which is like totally fair. So I did want to offer that reason. And, uh, you know, a meditation gets a lot of eye rolls from the anxiety community. Although I, I promise you, if you stick with it, <laughs> um, it really is quite powerful.
1: Yeah. yeah. And I love the breath work too, because the breath work and Kundalini incorporates breath work. Mm-hmm. Um, the breath work is something to actively do. Mm -hmm. And then after, so after doing the breathwork practice and just letting yourself sit there, it, the breathwork like puts you into that meditative state. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to like try to sit there and like try to be calm. Like after you do breathwork, it pops you into that state physiologically. And so for anybody who's like, Oh my God, no meditation. Um, try incorporating some breath work into that and you might see a difference.
0: Mm -hmm. Have you ever gotten like the dino hands? Yes. Oh my gosh, it's wild. And then afterwards the release is just like, it's so cool that you said at the top of this call, you said everything I had was inside of me. And it's so true. Like when you're talking about breath work, Mm -hmm. it's the power, like do not underestimate the power of your breath (laughs) and the way that it can like, unlock and release like stored energy stored emotions stored trauma and like I have had the craziest breathwork sessions where afterwards I literally feel like I'm like floating on a fucking cloud I'm like what is happening like I feel like I'm on drugs but I'm not on drugs and I used to do drugs so I can say that yeah yeah Like a spin does that for me too, but obviously I cycle sync, so I can't spin all the time, but I will leave a spin class and I'll be like, it kind of feels like I'm doing drugs right now, but like it's a natural high. (laughs) Yeah. And I will say like the point of
1: microdosing or utilizing plant medicines is not so that you are microdosing for the rest of your life. It's like you, you get what you need and then you realize you are the medicine and and then you find these other amazing tools to tap into that energy um that's not just uh, taking the medicine. yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And the more, and, you know, circling back to nutrition, the more you give the body the building blocks that it needs, mm-hmm. the more like you are, your body is the medicine as long as it's functioning optimally. If we're talking mm-hmm. about it from like a, biochemical, physical aspect, mm-hmm. right? And so your role is to give your beautiful meat suit what it needs so that it can do its job for you. And the more you do that, and then you couple that with, if there's trauma, working with somebody who's trauma-informed, like working on um, that like emotional kind of introspection and working on the meditation and the work, like the, your intuitive hits and your intuitive pings that start to, you know, I call them downloads. I didn't come up with that. It's a common <laughs> word in like the manifestation community, I suppose. But like the downloads that come through and I just like make, it's crazy because as somebody who used to have an anxiety disorder, panic disorder and depression, I just like, we'll get this download now and I just move. I'm like, hmm okay, I'm going to follow this, like the level of trust that I have with myself. And I will say, you know, I'm not even three months in to fully removing alcohol. And it's just, they're coming quicker and they're coming faster. And like, it's just, it's mind blowing. And I don't have any regrets. Like in life, I personally, am like, I feel like it would be a waste of my time to sit around and regret things. But there is a part of me that's like, why didn't I do this sooner? Like, why didn't I put the drink down sooner? you know?
1: Yes. A hundred percent. But you're giving yourself that space and you're, you know, um, I think that everything happens for a reason. And mm-hmm. if you are struggling and you're like, man, I really wish that I could be sober. I really wish I could be where Tay is at. I really wish I could be where Ariana is at. Like, know that your process, like you are exactly where you need mm-hmm. to be. And there is so many nuggets of wisdom in that journey of recovery. Like I think of recovery as this portal of transformation. Like if you open to the wisdom that is held in that process, um, there's so much juiciness that comes from it. And so
0: it's okay where you are. Mm -hmm. I love that you said that. Okay. Let's wrap this up with, and I know I'm putting you on the spot here. Your top five steps doesn't have to be in the exact order, but I try to remember to ask all my guests this. I don't always remember, but you know, we listen to these great podcast episodes and then we're like, okay, they talked about so many things. Where the heck do I start? And then like action paralysis is a really big thing, right? So in no order of importance, Mm -hmm. if somebody is looking to live a sober life, to not drink anymore, to not have any substances anymore, what would you say are kind of like some five steps that could be supportive to them?
1: Yeah. Um, So I'll just give you the five steps that I have in my program, my intuitive sobriety method. Damn. Okay. (laughs) I love
0: that. Yeah.
1: So I would say the first step is that awareness, is that deepening into how substances are showing up for me, how substances are helping me, and how um, how I'm using them. So awareness really is the first step. And next is that body, you know, physical health, the um, blood sugar regulation. Are you active? Are you getting sleep? Are you hydrated? And when those things aren't there, it's really hard to let go of a substance because you're going to be grasping onto something. Um, the next step I would say is that emotional regulation, learning how to sit with the discomfort. So often we are using a substance to avoid pain. So how can we learn to sit with that pain? And in my methodology, I teach you tools of how how to do that. Um, the fourth, I would say is looking at past hurts, past traumas, what 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 are we really running from more so than just the you know discomfort on a day to day but like what has happened that is so painful that we're numbing
0: mm-hmm.
1: and using tools like somatic healing and internal family systems to really learn where these are stemming from and give so much compassion to these past parts and these past hurts um and then the fifth i would say is Reimagining your relationships, your career, your life. When we are living a life that is out of alignment, and I'm not saying that you have to have like everything perfectly aligned, but when we're in a job that we hate, when we're in an abusive relationship, when we don't have community in our life, we're going to turn to substances. And so the last step I would say is structuring a life that you don't feel the need to escape from.
0: Oh, mic drop. I'm so glad you said that because I've done episodes on this. Um, This, in my opinion, is the hardest part of any health journey is taking a look at your life and getting so honest and like walking away from relationships, careers, putting up boundaries, like cutting people out of your life. Like I I have clients who have left their jobs. I left a relationship that I didn't want to leave for my mental health you know like i have people who have completely had to cut off boundaries and they're with their own mothers you know like this is the heart like in my opinion the hardest part but it's like the most powerful portal to your healing you know is when Sometimes we have to make these really, really hard decisions for ourselves, but we can do hard things. (laughs) Yes, we can. (laughs) Love that. I mean, I could talk to you forever. Gonna respect everybody's time and wrap it up, but please tell us where we can find you all of that good stuff because everyone's going to want to connect after this. (laughs) Yeah, everybody follow along because like your Instagram is gold. I love it. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I have a lot of good tips over there, nuggets of wisdom. Um, So my Instagram is at Dr. Ariana McCartney. That's A-R-I-A-N-N-A-M-A-C-A-R-T-N-E-Y. And you can uh, DM me. I would love to hear from you. I'm always open to chat in the DMs. Um, And then, As well, you can find me over on mycologypsychology.com. I am a practitioner to support um, integrating um, microdosing experiences. So, um, you know, I'm not promoting or providing the medicine, but I am a practitioner to help in that integration process. And you can find me over there.
0: And in case you have your intuitive sobriety method, right? Are you still doing your like support group thing as well? No. No. We yeah. have right
1: right now, right now, um, I work with folks um one on one as well as in my intuitive sobriety method program, which is a group program and which is a
0: support group. <laughs> which is a support group. Yeah. So yeah.
1: that's a support group. Um yeah, and possibly in the future, in the past, I had a group called Club Sober Ish, and it was a safe space to um just come get support and that may be
0: reopening in the future so keep your eyes peeled well speaking about alignment like our offers change all the time right like yeah. depending on what's as coaches as practitioners as doctors it's really important that we're super in alignment with what we offer because then we're going to show up in our most powerful way i'm rejigging things on my back end literally i messaged my admin today and i was like this is what we're doing and she was like okay <laughs> Things are always evolving. So let that be permission to you, dear listener, that you can evolve and change your mind and it's okay. Love it. Love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on and I will talk to you on the Instagrams. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much, Tay. is a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I have one quick favor to ask you before you go. If you love today's episode, I would so appreciate if you left a review on whatever podcast platform you are listening to right now. My goal with this podcast is to reach as many people as possible to spread awareness that anxiety is not this incurable disease. It's not something we just have to live with. It's definitely not just part of your personality. And there are body-based imbalances that need to be addressed in order to truly be free from chronic anxiety. With awareness comes action. And the more people this podcast can reach, the less people will struggle with anxiety. And positive reviews are the number one way to help new people discover the show. You are the best, Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you so, so, so much. One last thing, my legal medical disclaimer, the Breaking Up With Anxiety podcast with me, Taylor Jandro is for general information and educational purposes only and the advice and recommendations I give, or my guests give throughout the episodes do not replace medical advice. The consumption of this podcast does not qualify as a practitioner-client relationship with me, and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. Yes, I am a nutritionist, but I am not your nutritionist. So please discuss any changes with your primary healthcare provider. Okay, that's it. Until the next episode, bye for now.